Hello and welcome to episode number 62 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason Holzer along with my good buddy Jim Huber. Uh, Jim, happy Wednesday to you today. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, You know, Jimmy, every episode we pack with some of the top thought leaders, performance coaches, uh, and former athletes in the world to give us, our audience, some of the best resources uh, in the world to help them level up and get better. And uh, today on the platform, we got... Uh, Lisa Bontasumi. Um, and Lisa is a co-founder and CEO of Ath Mindset, a private practice clinician of over 20 years. And she's a she's registered with the uh, Olympic Committee, the Paralympic Committee, and part of the NFLPA. So she's had quite a bit of experience in the peak performance field, Jim. And she's, by the way, you want to tell the people about uh, how she got quoted in Vogue magazine? and uh, time magazine about a couple of athletes that are pretty prominent well i think uh why don't you talk about it is it a tennis player and a gymnast that, i think uh, it was Osa- naomi osaki right and then the big one was simone Biles. i'm excited to kind of dive into some of that stuff with her i'm excited because uh it's interesting we're talking about this because the last uh two weeks with the teams that i work with we've been into kind of peak states mm. um you know peak performance and going through what it takes to be able to do that on more of a consistent basis. So being able to talk to Lisa and expand upon that, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and bring her on then. So uh, Lisa, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How's it going? We're going well. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us today. Um, you know, first of all, we want to dive into the mental health, you know, it's, it's had such a stigma, such a negative connotation. So, uh, my first question to you is like, how do we normalize a conversation of like mental health is a lot like your physical health, you know, and it's not mental health isn't negative or positive. It just is. And what you do with your mental health determines whether you, you know, are healthier or not. How can we normalize that conversation? What do you think? I mean, exactly what we're doing today, having these conversations that are accessible to many, breaking it down, you know, it is just as important as physical health. We're all born with mental health. We all have a level of healthiness, um, but we're all on a continuum. You know, we can be from really, really solidly mental, mentally healthy to getting into sort of being like having a stressor or a crisis go on to bring us down to the continuum to be more have a mental health disorder or mental illness. Um, but, you know, we all have it and we need to keep talking about it and not be ashamed of it, not be feel like it's weak to have the discussion. So I think talks like this and writing about it, speaking about it, sharing your stories about it. So that's why I think would be great. Hey, Lisa, how do we, you know, you see it a lot in athletics. It's, it's an emotional sport and we can say whatever, but when you get to the highest level, it's like, it's, you know, people want to win and there's uh, quite a bit of money behind it. And you see situations like even, you know, with Antonio Brown recently uh, mm-hmm. with the Tampa Buccaneers and losing himself kind of emotionally and, going off the field in a certain way. And, um, and people have been very judgmental on that. Um, yeah. And maybe we don't know Antonio Brown, the situation has gone through, but how do we get more, you know, more curious about issues like that, that athletes are going through instead of being judgmental and trying to understand what's really going on and to help these athletes more deal with their emotions in a certain way that they more respond in a positive way than react in these negative ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Antonio Brown and other professional football players and athletes at that level, we we have no idea what they go through on a day to day. You know, I think I think it's hard because the general public treats them as a commodity, treats them as I mean, I'll just say a piece of meat for my entertainment like shut up and dribble, all of that stuff. Like just go play and make me happy and I'll drink my beer and watch you play and I'm cool. But like they are humans with real responsibilities and families, children maybe, parents that are ailing, you know? And so it's a lot, it's a lot. The business is the business and we have to understand that um, and be compassionate to these guys are doing their job. They're at their job. The difference between them and us is that they are on a super big platform that anyone can access pretty easily these days with social media. So 
we, we are able to watch their every move. Like, what would that be like if we were at work and someone could watch us like go have a coffee or go talk with a coworker about something personal and that be like blasted publicly? It's, it's a lot of pressure off the field, too. And I think that's important to recognize. Don't you think, though, in athletics, especially I see like high level college professional, we send mixed signals to the athletes. It's like, for example, Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. um, he's acted in a, you know, not a maybe a positive way in certain areas and made bad choices. But you'll hear individuals say, well, maybe they cut him or maybe uh, he's not going to play for us again. Right. And then all of a sudden, a few athletes that are really good at that position get hurt and they need somebody and they bring the athlete back. Right. It's OK. Now we need you now. Right. What what you did, uh, we'll wash it under here. But then when you act up again, we're going to cut you again. If we need you, we'll bring you back. I feel like it's just win at all costs. And if you can help us win, we'll deal with this. If you can't, then we'll let you go. Right. Again, they're objectified. They, they, they will punish if they don't perform and, and not be, like you said, curious or offer ways to heal or treatment for what might be going on. I mean, Antonio Brown said himself that whatever the conversation was on that sideline, he was triggered. And so for people who don't know what triggered means is that there is a way that he was emotionally evoked by some past experience by whatever the, the coach and him had in their verbal exchange. So it brought him somewhere. It took him somewhere. And so the physiological response of being triggered is can be overwhelming if you don't have the skills and wherewithal to manage what your body is doing, what your body is saying, and then thus your behaviors as a result. So a lot of my work is in teaching self-awareness, teaching and having the athletes tell their story, knowing you know, what their triggers right, might be and being able to talk about their own traumas, whether that's childhood, environmental, whatever, because our athletes, you know, different athletes grew up in different environments and they bring that into their job. They bring it into the field. So I think if we can get away from punishment um, and into a curiosity and understanding and like, hey, shoot, maybe one of the, you know, more senior guys need to sit down and talk to him or we need to like have sort of a, a way to support him and get in there and understand is better than just like, yo, I'm going to move you here, move you there. And then the guys don't know what to be up for, where their next paycheck is coming from. Are they going to get cut? It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, and Lisa, from a coach's perspective, like what are some ways that, you know, coaches can be maybe less you know, punishment oriented, but you may be more curious, like building relationships with individual athletes, but at the same time, like having a expectation or accountability piece where, you know, like, Hey, not, it's not anything goes, but we care about you. We want you to succeed on and off the field, the court, you name it. So keeping the culture of the team where people like are on a mission, but also understanding people on an individual level yep. where you can work with them situationally and not having like an across the board, like this is how it is for everybody, you know, right. what, what's that look like? Well, I mean, it's interesting because <clears throat> I do work for the Oakland roots as part of like what I do on the day to day. They're a professional men's soccer team here in Oakland and hopes to grow beyond just men's pro soccer. And I had a, a really nice conversation with our new coach, Juan Guetta um, about just that, about, the collaboration of the whole technical team, which I'm a part of, he coaches, he evaluates, he wants to win. You know, he'll put the best top 11 in that game for that week. My role is to be able to afford to see them as human and to treat them as such and to support them as such and build that relationship. And then in a collaborative way in our regular meetings, you know, without sharing details because that's confidential in, in my role with them like what teaching Juan and showing Juan what I've learned um and best to approach each player so it's not it can't just be one person you know there's an ecosystem that surrounds the development of the athlete and actually leads to the success of the whole team in the end so I think coaches realizing you can't do everything hmm. you're not equipped to do everything and it's actually maybe a conflict of interest to do everything. So if you were coaching a team, I guess, depending on the age, I would have a Rolodex of folks in my industry, you know, mental health, sport performance that can partner with you to develop your um, players in whatever team you have and then collaborate. That would be my recommendation. I mean, coaches go through a lot because you guys are performers too. 
So you have to manage your own communication, your own emotions. But you know, no one can do like the job of developing a human on their own. They can't. How do you, how do you go about though, Lisa? You know, like as a coach, I know growing up it used to be like when I was coach, it's like you treat everybody the same. You got mm -hmm. you got coaches demanding from you. Um, you know, kicking you in the butt on a consistent basis. Yeah. But you know, everybody's a little bit different. Their personality, mm -hmm. and some people need more of the hug. Some people need mm -hmm. a little kick in the behind. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend coaches find out what their athletes are like and their personalities and be able to coach them in certain ways where we're not having these flare ups and these mm -hmm. high emotions and make these athletes making these poor decisions? Mm -hmm. Well, going back to what you had said earlier, Jeff, curiosity, build that relationship with each athlete as best you can and what's realistic. You know, part of sport performance is we do like team bonding, team cohesion type exercises and evaluations. So we can know a little bit deeper who they are, what they respond to. I mean, there's lots of research that says um, female and male athletes respond differently in general. But then you have to know your player individually, get to know their family, like spend time and spend time with the families and their players, their kids, your players off the field, having that time where they don't have to perform, where they can be yourselves and you can be yourselves. You're not trying to build a friendship, but you're learning how to best coach them because there is a hierarchy, right? That needs to be respected. But even in a hierarchy like parent, child or teacher, student, there is a way that you need to know them individually or else it's not gonna work. I mean, it's learning what your coaching philosophy is and how to best communicate to your players so they can best give you all that they have and feel safe and comfortable to be able to perform for you. Well, and Lisa, you know, like sometimes coaches, and I know I felt this way before, like you feel like you have to have all the answers, right? You feel like you have to. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to like trust your resources. I mean, because you feel like you, you're like, especially the head coach, like, hey, you're the guy, everything falls on you, winning or losing. And sometimes it's even your job, right? I know, especially at the professional level. Yep. Um, how can we as coaches learn to trust these resources and realize that they're actually going to make our players better and that when we don't have the answers to rely on people like yourself to get this data and feedback to understand maybe our athletes better because, you know, we only have so many hours in the day. And sometimes you're not able to talk to every player, but having a resource like you to say, hey, by mm -hmm. the way, this is how you should probably talk to this guy as opposed yep. to the way you're doing it. How can we learn to like let our ego down to use the resources to help us build those relationships better? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key. I mean, letting the ego down and knowing that you don't have to or should do it yourself. I mean, if I if I, I might dare say a lot of coaches are former athletes themselves, so they come from already that mindset. It's a shifting of the mindset that we are all collaboratively helping together. Um, but I think, <clears throat> you know, the USOPC, and the NFLPA, where I am a, cl a clinician registered in both of those platforms, there's a strong vetting process that goes on. And it's like, I mean, the application to be screened for those things is like applying to graduate school all over again. I mean, they take it seriously. And I love it and I hate it at the same time. I hate it that I had to go through it, but I love it that I had to go through it, if that makes sense. Because that means that all my other colleagues alongside me had to go through it and I can trust that they're serving the athlete for the right reasons and in the right way. So if you're in those fields, you can go there. I mean, I'm building a team of uh, scaling practitioners throughout the country, one by, one state by state of vetted clinicians under my company, Ath Mindset. So there's that. You can I can share a lot of different resources, but I think it's the interview process. You should interview people. Like, don't just let them come into your circle have a set of questions, you know, what, how do you work with the athlete? What's your style? How do you approach them? How would you consider collaborating with me? What's your experience? What other teams or athletes have you worked with? And like, feel okay to like interview people, um, ask around, ask other coaches, do they use anyone, ask teams? Um, I can help in any way. You can always reach out to me, any coach who's listening. But it is a criteria. You are vetting someone who's going to impact your players and then impact you and your experience as coaching. So, you know, just know, know who they are. Don't be afraid to know. I want to get back into you talked about triggers because 
you know, all of us have certain things that are anchored into us that the circumstances, things that go around us, things that might trigger us into maybe some negative emotions. And you talked about self-awareness. Like, what do you, what would be your recommendation for athletes to understand certain triggers, right? To be aware of them and what to do when they get those triggers to get them maybe settled back in to being more present in the situation and not get so emotional in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's self-awareness and there's lots of ways we can grow in that. It's in a, in a therapy relationship. I mean, that, of course I'm biased. That's my number one way to have an objective, private, confidential place to talk with someone, to help you learn about yourself. That's what therapy is. I mean, there's a lot of illusion about like what therapy is and isn't, what happens in behind closed doors, etc. I am a tool, a platform to help you know yourself. The questions I ask about you are less for me, but more for you to consider, to learn about yourself. So when I talk with an athlete about their story, about their background, we're uncovering certain situations that if un- if left uncovered would become a trigger later because it's not inspected, it's not understood. So there's other ways like um, I think um, journaling is another self-awareness tool to build, to understand yourself, setting process goals and then reflecting on them. And we can talk in depth about that if you want, but there's so many different ways that we can learn about our emotions a first it's okay to have them and b we are empowered to shift them what we feel doesn't have to be our feeling forever in that situation we can acknowledge it and then put in a tool or strategy or skill to adjust that emotion so it doesn't have a big impact on that performance in that moment i'm all about you know having what what did ted lasso say have the memory of a goldfish yeah (laughs) Like short term, right? Like there is no positive impact on you to remember over and over the mistake real or perceived that you just made. There's no positive impact on that. We need to practice the skill of letting go of that and then staying in the moment, whether that's breath work in the moment, positive self statements to keep you grounded and stay right there. And when the future comes, we can't be thinking about what's the future going to hold. We can't go there either. We have we can't go past or future. We need to be right here. And that's where we're at. And everything, the gifts of being present are um, super impactful and can help the coach, the player, the team all the way around. But it's any activity that you can be involved in to learn about yourself and then to learn that your body is, is giving you messages and to learn how to, that that's okay to feel nervous. But maybe we say, oh, the feelings of nervousness are actually excitement mm. and like reappraising really what your body is saying and then being able to self-regulate and calm yourself. So those things can happen right there in the moment on the field and they can happen, I believe, regularly throughout any of your training, just like you physically train, train your mental, train your brain. And Lisa, you mentioned journaling, you know, and, and so let's say I'm, I'm new to journaling and I'm not really sure how to start. Like, what are some yeah. prompts? What are some uh, beginner ways to even just get out of your head and on a piece of paper? You know, like, like you mentioned, maybe you don't have, maybe it's hard to find access to a therapist or a counselor, yeah. you know, um, and you, you really feel like, you know, you want to learn, but you just don't know where to start. Where, what would you suggest a great starting point to journaling would be? I mean, one of the major pillars of optimal mental health is to be able to identify and know your emotions. So if you were just at one point in the day, write down three emotions that you're experiencing, bam, that's a journal entry. It doesn't have to be that elaborate or like intimidating or daunting that, oh shit, I'm starting this journaling and it's got to be perfect and this and that. Just start with Pen to paper, not an e-journal. Research shows it's more impactful if it's pencil to paper, pen to paper, the way that it processes out. So three emotions I'm feeling right now. Hmm, what are those three emotions? You sit, you have a mindful moment, you reflect and you write it down. Oh, so as simple as like saying, hey, I feel happy. I'm I'm a little sad. Or I just taking three moments of your day and just literally writing down. It could be like a word, like that simple, right? Yep. But- that's kind of helping develop that initial stages of self-awareness too, just being exactly. aware of 
what are you feeling, right? And then it can kind of exactly. build off of that. Is that kind of I want to kind of, is that what I'm, is that what you're saying? Yes, it's it's a simple act with huge impact. You know, because then the next time you come back to the journal, you can see what you wrote, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember I wrote. I said I was sad. What did that feel like? Mm. What did that feel like in my body? What was I maybe thinking about that would lead to that emotion? And then you're learning that, oh, if you have a thought about something that can impact how you feel and how you behave. Mm -hmm. So if I have this feeling, I can shift it by the way I think about it. So, yeah, it's a process. It's a practice. The the process of self-awareness and self-development is a lifelong one. And journaling does not have to be this daunting tool that's not accessible. It can be hey, very Lisa, Lisa, you, you got uh, Jason real excited when you mentioned Ted Lasso. I mean, that gets him pumped up. And the goldfish <laughs> having right. the very the memory of a goldfish. And I go back to this, like when I talk to people like memory can be good, but sometimes we remember the negative things and we focus on negative instead of focusing more on the positive things we did well. I tell people all the time, like I have no confidence. Well, you have confidence. There's things you're confident in. And maybe I'm not confident I can't shoot the basketball. Well, let's go back and think about when you did shoot the basketball. Well, you've done that before. But I want to get into when you talk about being calm because the pressure of sports and making mistakes and how it compounds and getting that back in that present moment, the precious present. And you talked about breathing, right? You talked about affirming statements. Is there like quick ways of how someone can use breathing in the moment of competition or use like affirming statements to themselves to get them back into a present moment and mm -hmm. get them where they're not focused on the past mistakes. Yeah. I mean, our brain is trained and like just in our head to always think of the negative first because that's how we survive. That's caveman days. We have to know what's going on, what's wrong so we can be safe and protect. So it is our job because our brain wants to be optimal. There's, I've learned from colleagues that neuroplasticity is a thing. Like we can, our brain wants to be trained to, to function for our best benefit. So if we can give it those positive messages in, in whatever way we can, that's gonna be helpful. So breathing, like if you watch sports on TV, you see the guy or the gal at bat, there's a breath before they, they settle into the box. You see the guy or gal at the free throw line, there's probably a breath, right? That breath can is, it can't be just like, it's gotta be, that's where there's impact. If you just do that once, you're resting your central nervous system and you're allowing space for it to calm. So if you're, when your body is calm and your physiology is calm, then you can execute in a more calm way. Box breathing can be something, it's a little bit more extensive, but if you do an inhale, to four, stop to four, and then exhale four. Do that a couple times. Huge impact. Huge impact. Um, I think, though, we can't be fooled that we can and should only do it in the moment. That That's, I mean, we can't. That, we don't do that with physical skills, mental skills. We got to train on them regularly. Um, so some of the other things about, like, attentional focus, self-talk, things like that. One of my favorite ones is imagery. It's one of my favorite mental tools. And it's not simply visualization, but bringing in all sentence, um, I'm, I'm struggling with my words right now, but with all senses, senses in there, not just visualization, to create a image of how you want to perform in that cer certain situation. So if it's basketball at the free throw, if we go back to that, away from the moment, away from the court, away from that game, you are imagining how you want it to go. What does it feel like in your body and emotionally? What does it taste like? The sweat on your lip? What does it smell like? What are you hearing? The crowd. And then I have my athletes write a script, a specific script about how you want it to go. And then training on it can be writing on writing out that script regularly or and or recording it and then listening to it regularly then the brain gets that stimulus and the body will follow just like muscle memory physically the brain has muscle memory so but you got to keep giving it that impact because the brain naturally will go awry so that i think in sports there's so many ways that 
there's things that are out of our control as athletes. So routines are things that we can do that are in our control that can ground us and keep us in the moment and solid. So there's pre, there can be a pre-competition routine, a routine during competition, and then post. And that can include physical and mental actions and behaviors on each of those to ground you, to, to let the body and the brain know, like you're safe, you're good, go ahead and perform. So that was, those are just some of, some of the tools that I use. Um, yeah, but it's important to say though, Jim, that you can't rely on just in the moment. You can't. That's yeah, like, like you talk about like a pregame routine or pre-practice routines. And I'll tell athletes all the time, it's like so many of you just train your physical body, getting ready yeah. with dynamic stretch, doing maybe some skill development type work, but you training your mind. Yes. Like run the movie in your mind before it happens. Like you said, the yeah. imagery that you can do and and train your mind, your mind so the body will follow like you've been there. But I do want to get into something you mentioned about goal setting. Uh -huh. And I hear it all the time in sports, like athletes, we should goal set, goal set, goal set. And I think there's, you know, uh, more beneficial ways of goal setting. And you kind of mentioned the focus more on the process goals, not maybe the end goals. Can you talk about that and how you work with athletes and the benefit of focus on more process type goals? Yes. So if we're taking my team, the Oakland Roots and the outcome goal for the team, let's say, is to win win the division league the league this this season we want to come in first place that's the outcome then we put that to the side and in the periphery around us then we pro focus on the process goals the steps to get there what do we need to 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 measure and evaluate to get to that place so that can be taking each individual player and saying in your position you need to do you need to train on this this many hours per week. You need to train on this physical skill. You need to train on your imagery this time. You need to be able to um, be evaluated in whatever way the coach does in these ways this many times. So in a smart goal format, so specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time bound, so that the athlete can have some success until the outcome is, is achieved. So there, it's measured and evaluated and sort of checked off or reframed as we go through each one. So it's the steps to get there. And then there's also performance goals. So not just the measurement thing, but what actual tasks do you need to do to facilitate the process goal, thus then to reach and achieve the outcome goal. So it's breaking it down. It's breaking it down. So it's not like, oh shit, we have to win the division, but like, uh, okay. I don't, I don't know what my role in that is. I don't know how to do that. And so the process goals can help us break it down. Well, that can get too pretty overwhelming. Where, you know, everybody says, hey, I want to win the national championship. I, I want to win this our tournament champ or whatever is league championship. But again, okay, and some I see programs will say they want to do this, but they've never done it before. And like I said, what are you going to do differently? And almost right. like breaking it down to be like you said, like here's these things we're going to do daily. Yeah, we're going to focus one day at a time and we're going to be doing these things to help us get to here instead of like, here's the end. Let's not just focus there. We're going to focus right here, like climbing the mountain one step at a time. Exactly. Right. And staying in the moment, because, again, you identify that outcome goal, but then you put it to the side. It's there. It's in your periphery. You, It's the future. We don't put too much energy there. If you focus and make realistic and really like sharp process goals, you're going to get there. Maybe not in the time that you want, maybe not this season, maybe not next season, but you're building and you're building that skill in your team, the team culture and your athletes to know that there's something that they can feel successful and accomplished with until they get there. I don't know if you see this, but I, I experience it, I think, quite a bit when I speak to athletes, the pressure they feel, but I feel like their identity is they're an athlete. That's who they are. Mm -hmm. And I try to get them to shift and understand, no, that's what you do. Right. Right. You're you're like you're the spiritual being that lives in this body and you you're not just a football player. Uh -huh. You're not just a basketball player. So when you don't perform well or you're cut or whatever, they think life's over. Yeah. Do you see that in athletes and deal with that? And how do you get them to shift to understand they're much more than just being a basketball player, volleyball player, gymnast or whatever it be? I mean, I see it all the time and I went through that myself. And so I have a deep empathy for 
guys and gals going through that because to be an elite athlete, you almost don't have the opportunity to develop other sides of you because you have to focus day in and day out on your craft. And so it's a mistake to go along and say like, my craft is who I am. And if my craft is taken away or lost or due to an injury or whatever, that I am no one, but that's, that's real. And it goes into a deep depression, oftentimes a dark place, like the Olympians coming back from the games, you know, it was this big thing. I had these medals, maybe and I had these competitions to come back. I'm just nobody again. I'm nobody. And like people have, you know, attempted suicide and died by suicide in those circumstances. So I think the earlier that we can talk to our athletes about you are a fully multidimensional human. You have many gifts aside from what's on the field and to give them permission and encouragement to develop those sides. Like my daughter's a high level softball player. I tell her all the time, you know, if you can't play softball unless school is done, you can't play softball unless you do this chore, unless you develop and read this book and do do some stuff outside of school too. Like it, hone your interests, have fun. Like our biggest thing right now is we play pickleball. It's not competitive. My six-year-old, me, my husband, and my 15-year-old go play pickleball. We're out there laughing, falling down, missing stuff, but we're, we're a family and we're doing an activity that's physical and that we can like have fun together. Like to not remember or not forget that it has to be fun sometimes. It can't always be about winning in competition and to experience all those other things too and insist on making the time for it. Insist. And as coaches maybe insist as well. Like you're better for me as a player if you if you're able to know yourself fully again it comes back to self-awareness right what are your gifts let's talk about them um and let's let me do anything i can to help develop them because you you guys know sports help us develop as humans there's so many skills there that we can take into our life into our relationships school future jobs like this is it's it's more than sports it's more and they're more than athletes so we have to give permission and encouragement to that so they feel comfortable yeah. And Lisa, you know, that's what our, one of our models here is like, it's more than the score, right? We talk about like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's back to getting to that fun. It's in, in a couple of things I want to get into is like the, like you mentioned the drop off after a big event, Super Bowl, Olympics, like what these yeah. athletes go through and everyone's like, it's done. Right. Or it's, or it's, or there's a, a big space. They work so hard. They, you know, for like years, sometimes with yeah. Olympians for mm-hmm. seasons and you, you win that championship. And then the next day it's like, it's done. It's, yeah. Now we got to, so how do you, my first question is, as an athlete, how do you uh, take that time to rest, recover, and see that as a benefit and not as a doom and gloom situation? Yeah. And the second part is with, the, with, with your family is how do we make things more fun with sports? How do we make it? Because, you know, you see so many people get so serious. They're so, like, intense, and they miss out on the joys of sports. So my first question is that one piece of um, – you know, how do you use that rest and recovery time as a, as a positive? How can you turn that into a positive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I learned from my good friend, Marco Nunez, who used to be a, um, a strength and conditioning coach for uh, the Lakers back in the day. He taught me that recovery starts the minute that that last mi- second ticks off. That's recovery right there. Like the minute your, your competition is over or what, whatever marks it, your recovery physically and mentally. Like that is what just happened. The moment is now and we're not competing and recovery starts. So teaching the athletes that from the get go and that rest and recovery sleep, who I've learned from from my friend, Dr. Chris Winter, just wrote a big book on on sleep, the, the value of it. He's wrote a couple books, but um, it is key to be able to be the most impactful when you're awake. We need that. It's not being lazy. It's not um, cheating to want to rest and recover. It, it's, it prevents injury, mental and physical, to be able to do that. So being able to have conversations about that and have a plan as a coach, like, okay, you're back, you're back from the Olympics, you're back from the Super Bowl, you're back from that big tournament, whatever you're competing in. Okay, let's keep, let's keep, let's rest, and this is how we can do it as a team. Mm. And normalize it, normalize it, and encourage it, and teach them the value of it. You know, I think the culture shift of mental health in general and then in what the value of rest and recovery is happening now 
it's always been grind, 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 work, 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 always. There hasn't been yet a more mainstream value around the rest piece and recovery. So that's a great question. I think that can't be emphasized enough. Well, it never reminds me of uh, the, the last playoff game when Tampa Bay and Philadelphia played right after Tom Brady has been interviewed. And the reporter was asking, like, hey, are you going to be watching the other games, you know, uh, today or whatever? He goes, honestly, I'm actually going to go get my therapy, get recovery. Um, we're going to be on a short week, so I'm going to get my body ready to play. Yes. When you think about, like, somebody like him is playing at the age he's playing at, the level he's playing at, it's like he talks about even sleep, like you said. Being able to tell kids all the time, like, getting sleep, not having your phones right beside you, waking you up in the middle of the night, right? having that blue light, not getting this deep sleep. Yeah. And you might even talk about that, like with your athletes, you talk to them about, hey, here's things to do totally. to make sure you're getting good sleep through the night so yeah. your body is really able to recover. Yeah, we talk about sleep hygiene. So the preparation for sleep, the the, the pre-sleep routine, um, what that looks like. like. I recommend no screen whatsoever. 45 minutes to, before you want to actually be asleep. No screen whatsoever. And that's already hard. Some some of my athletes need to put their phone outside of the room because it's tempting to kind of like roll over and look at it or put a towel over their clock alarm with that, you know, the light emanating. Do Like watching your caffeine if you drink it. I, I don't. I, I can't. <laughs> it messes up my rhythm too much. And to, that self-awareness to know, right? So be aware of the caffeine, what time you drink it, how much you drink it. During that 45 minutes time, you can be reading, reading a non-stimulating book, like nothing that's going to be like, oh, shoot, what's the next page? Like get you all into it. Um, you can meditate. You can do some stretching. You can shower or bathe, which bath or shower, whichever calms you more. Some invigorates people more. So knowing which one works best for you, setting the room, the temperature, and the lighting proper to you um, as much as you can. You know, a lot of our athletes, you know, depending on what level and how old they have, other people sleeping in their room. So having that that talk about what is needed. I mean, I learned from LeBron James on um, his series on the Calm app, which I use a lot with my athletes. He talks, he has a whole talk about sleep. Like no matter what his what time his game is or what his routine or schedule is, he moves sleep to, around it. So he always has a nap <laughs> every day. That's what I learned from him. If there, if there's a 10 a.m. game, you got to be like at the pregame warm-up nine, maybe eat at eight as a team. So he backs it up from them about when he's going to nap <laughs> mm. and still get his his sleep in for the night. But when is the nap? Um, is it afterwards? Is it before? Depending on when the time of the game is, everything that leads up to it. There's so many things that an athlete does at depending on the level to prepare for that game as a team and as an individual. So um, sleep is huge. And, and the routine to, to invite sleep is unique and should be like experimented with, see what works for you. But those are some of the general, general tips I have. Yeah, on that, Lisa, too, you know, something I uh, have, I have a sleep app that's by my bed and I'll go let's sleep mode and turn it. But when I wake up, it'll give me statistics of my sleep through the night and I'll analyze like, OK, what did I do? Oh, I just got 95 percent. What did I do? Well, I didn't have any screen time before this. I, I I had a better routine. I took a little melatonin. I did whatever it is, like a magnesium. And I, you know, things that I look at, I'm like, hey, this works. Oh, this didn't work. I got like 55% sleep and here's what happened. And you kind of be able to be like a scientist because you want to get that great sleep. But uh -huh. something I want to get into it you with that you talked about. And we mentioned like the identity of athletes. Uh -huh. um, and some of them think like, hey, on this or when they're young ages, people like put them on a pedestal. They're so good at something. Right. And people look at them a certain way. And I feel like sometimes they get to the point where they're afraid to make mistakes. You know, uh -huh. Carol Black wrote the book, Fixed Mindset, Growth Mindset, right? And talked about sometimes the fixed mindset individuals are scared to make mistakes. They don't right. want to look like they're not good enough, right? And they think their intelligence, their talents is fixed. But the growth, they're willing to do things, right? They're willing to learn and grow, make mistakes, and look at it as a failure. How do you work with athletes to get them more to get this growth mindset? 
to not be afraid to go after what it is they desire, not be afraid to make a mistake. Don't look at this failure and keep moving forward to what they want to accomplish in their life. Mm -hmm. It depends again on the age. If they're younger, I, I bring in the parent or parents because what a kid, a young elite athlete potentially thinks and feels is because it's the messaging they're getting from their environment. So if, if they're feeling pressured by a mistake that came from somewhere, if it's not the environment at home, it's another experience environment or adult that they respect who's telling them that, and then they internalize it. So we have to identify where it's coming from and shift the messaging. So then what's internalized is positive and encouraging. I talk to my athletes about, you know, making a mistake as part of growing and learning. It's an opportunity to continue to build that self-awareness and learn what works for you and what doesn't. This is not an end-all be-all hit right now. This is not an end-all be-all play. Like you're part of a team, you're part of a bigger ecosystem, a bigger picture. You know, everyone's going to make a mistake. Like expect it. Invite it. Like, because that's the only way you are going to learn. And so the growth mindset is a choice. It is something that's got to be continually worked on and caught when you're not in that mindset. Like one of the biggest things, my daughter, and one of the reasons why I came into this field is she's, she's been a perfectionist, lacks belief, um, is hard on herself when there's mistakes. So we work with her very regularly. And I say, we, my husband's a therapist too. And then she has her own, her, her own sports psychology therapist, but um, we all work with her to remember her tools, remind her of her tools. Is she training on her mental skills and keep that going? It's a commitment to want to be different. It's a commitment and work. You can't just say, I want to have a growth mindset and then go out and have it. You know, there's going to be so many things and stressors and influences around you that are going to keep you from not having it. You know, it's easier to not have it. You don't have to work but then it's miserable inside. So we got to, we got to work to want to keep growing, to be better. And it's tougher with the little ones or the younger ones, like 18 and younger, younger, because there's a lot of influences. And so we got to identify those, like I said, and make sure the environment's positive. I know Jason, you want to say something, but Lisa, when you talk about that, I tell people all the time, sports is messy. It's messy. <laughs> I mean, it is, there's going to be mistakes. When I first started coaching in the beginning, yeah. I was probably like, you make mistake, you got to be pulled out, whatever. Cause that's how I was taught. But as I've gotten older, I realize they're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes if you're playing. You're being aggressive, right? It's gonna be messy. Learn from it, grow from it, move forward, and have some specific time to reflect on it. After, away from the game, away from the moment, so that's when the actual learning can be solidified. And I and I get, again write that in your journal. That's another way we can use the journal really simply. You know, when you're stretching out in the locker room or done with the game or wherever you are, like make a couple notes. And just leave it there and then go back to it later when you want to like continue to explore it. But yeah. Alisa, you know, thank you for, for joining us today. We got into so much. And I know we could probably go in a lot longer. Yeah. Um, I'm so not going to ask you more questions, Jason. I had a couple more, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, so, maybe what we just have to do maybe part two, a follow up with this to continue the conversation. So I'd have to Lisa back great. on again. Yeah. Um, but we always we always end the, the episode with the four questions with 40 athletes. So these are some lightning round questions to get some little nuggets of knowledge um, before we end the day. So the first question is this. What is the best uh, life lesson that sports has taught you? Mm. Wow. The best life lesson that sports taught me. Um, there's so many. Let's see. Oh my gosh, that I think that that I I am valued, that I have a specific role, that um, I'm always growing and learning, and that relation my relationships from playing a sport um, and sports throughout the years are, are much more important than any tournament I've won mm. or we've won as a team. It's the relationships, it's the memories, it's the you know, ongoing connections with people throughout my life. So. Man, more people need to hear that message. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and number two, okay. Is if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, either passed away, still alive, fictional, non-fictional, 
who would it be and why would you pick them? So we had, we had mentioned some of these ladies at the beginning a little bit, but I would want to talk with uh, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, and then Jackie Robinson. Mm. Um, they are, in my opinion, in different ways, trailblazers in their sport, but trailblazers in humanity, trailblazers in, you know, being empowered by our voice, being able to... Um, stand for what we know is right. And so I think I would love to sit with each one of them separately to like dig into their brains about like who they are and, and how come they are what they are and like just learn um, because they, those three stand out to me um, in this very moment. Question number three is what is the best advice you've ever received from a coach you've worked for or played for? It's cliche-ish, but, but have fun. So the coaches, I've, I've like, have fun. Like, cause when you're, when you're having fun, we see it in your body. Like your physical performance is better. Go out there and get it and laugh. And, and that doesn't mean you're not competitive. It's both and. So my coach is developing me growing up. Have fun. Remember why you're here. Be respectful. Um, and coaches I've worked for the one right now, again, Juan Guerra that I mentioned, um, at the Oakland roots, he, what I've, what I've learned from him is he, he has a job and he needs help and support on doing the other parts that are not in his realm. So that humility and that self-awareness on his end about the kind of club he wants to build, because our team our organization is about is purpose driven. It's about social justice. It's equity and inclusive. We give back to our town of Oakland. So it's a little bit different than a lot of professional teams. And we recruit our staff and our players who have that same mentality and mindset when you come into the organization. So learning from him that we can still serve and do well in our community and still win. Um, and I think like, I love that and it's affirming and, you know, I'm, I'm makes me excited just thinking about like what the future holds for us. The last question is if you hire somebody to work for you, if you're a coach and had somebody that you recruited, maybe play for you, be part of your organization and they could only have one like life skill or character trait, what would it be and why? Empathy. That comes, that, that was an easy one. Empathy and understanding of not just themselves, but the other person. Compassion comes with it, I guess. So a willingness to want to learn, like Jim said, the curiosity to want to learn about themselves ongoingly because we've never arrived and to learn and, and understand the person in their shoes. Well, that's uh, Alisa, again, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. So many great insights in this 45-minute window that we could unpack and untangle. But, uh, you know, how can people learn more about what you're doing, at Mindset? You know, uh, where can they find you, Lisa? Thanks for asking. So my website is ath, A-T-H, mindset.io, not .com, .io. And um, that was supposed to, anyway, I could go into all that, but yeah supposed to be cute and like different. Um, so athmindset.io, there's lots of information there. I'm also on Instagram, LinkedIn with my name. Um, I also, I don't know if you guys knew, but I also have my own podcast, um, uh -oh. sport, sportsepreneur, um, Eric Kazimoff's platform actually hosts my podcast series, which is Ath Mindset podcast series. So there, the past episodes are on my website and you can also just get them anywhere you um, listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, um, and check out more conversations. Hopefully there's some more, some further nuggets there in addition to today. And, um, yeah, those are, those would be the best ways. And I'm always open to, uh, connecting with anyone, um, collaborating and just, um, offering value where I can. Well, Lisa, thank you again, uh, for joining us today. I have to check out those uh, podcasts, Jimmy. It uh, sounds like some great, uh, more mental skills information that we got. Uh, so, um, hey, by the way, Lisa, when you talked about Oakland, I don't know if Jason knows, but it, it's O-Town, right? 
Yeah. The town. The town. The town. Right? The town. Not old town. My yeah. son would be like old town road going on. Oh, old town road. <laughs> Both are acceptable. Both are acceptable. Hey, Marshawn Lynch would say, yeah. The right. Road, and you right? know he's part he's part of our ownership group for our team. Yeah, I, I when you were saying at the roots and so like that, I remember yeah. he was yeah, like in that. Now he's he cracks me up on his subway commercials. So yeah. that type of stuff happening. But it is interesting, like what he's done to give back in that community mm -hmm. and uh how he carries himself um you know beast mode of course on the field but uh it amazes me coming from the environment he's come from yeah um and the way he goes about um just again as a professional in and out of the sport now and what he's contributing yeah. uh it's it's really admiring to see that yeah he has a big um childhood literacy program amongst many others. Um, he partners with us visibly and behind the scenes. He's, I mean, I find, I mean, this is my last thing. I know we're going over, but people who have gone, as I say, gone through it or like have their own experiences are the ones that want to give back because they want to be who they wish people were around them. I mean, that's part of my own story too. Like in my ending, my, sports career not having anyone around me to help me with my injury physically and mentally and so i want to be that person um and that's what pushes me and fuels my passion to serve um and so we all have our stories we all have things we've gone through that help us find our passion and find ways to help and serve and give back so marshawn is 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 definitely included in that yeah well lisa that was a that was a great way to, to finish the podcast today and uh you know, best of luck to you, and uh, we hope to uh, stay connected and uh, find ways that we can maybe have you on again here in the near future, for sure. Thanks again, Jason and Jim. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Yeah, Thanks, no Lisa. problem. Well, uh, Jim, you know, among professional athletes, data shows up to 35% of elite athletes suffer from a mental health crisis, uh, which can manifest in stress, anxiety, eating disorders. So, you know, it's not all, you know, lights and it's roses and ice cream, if you will, as we say, it roses and butterflies for some of these guys and girls. So what if we taught them at a younger age, some of these life skills, some of these mental, mental fitness skills um, to be able to be more resilient, to be able to be more empathetic and more understanding, um, you know, and we've done that at 40 athletes. So can you tell them where we can learn more about our 40 athletes program and how it can help them win in the game of life? Yeah, they can go to 40athletes.com. We have programs that they can, uh, you know, go through. Uh, they can purchase online um, anywhere from we go ages like second to 12th grade. And we have some kindergarten and first graders going through um, the second grade program. But then also if there's youth programs or coaches run organizations or teams, um, there's a way that we can partner with you um, and you can, you know, book a discovery call. We can go through that with you. And as you mentioned, Jason, it's like, these numbers aren't decreasing, they're increasing. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to like, with Lisa, what she's doing is she's being proactive um, in finding ways to, like we talked about, it's more of how do we get more mental health? How do we get more the, the physical part that we work on in sports? How do we do that mentally um, and have that to be like this? We talked about like having it fitness, mental fitness. Let's be fit on the mental side. So the more leases, more people out there creating that awareness, getting people more open to doing this. And I love what she talked about. She sits down sometimes with the kids and the parents mm -hmm. to find out what's really going on, where the pressures are, right? So they can kind of clear that up, that awareness to understand how they can go forward and make it even better. Yeah. No, we, you know, the more people we have, like least in the world, the better our world is going to be, not just in sports, but out of sports as well. So um, well, Jason, as always, thanks for all you do. And all the work you do to impact uh, young lives in amazing ways. Keep up the great work. Hey, back at you, man. One life at a time, right? So That's good. All right, all Chase. Right, take care, buddy. Yep.